Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. Uh, today we begin our study in 1 Peter, but we're going to pause and we're going to have an introduction to the book of 1 Peter uh, and how beautiful it is to see the handiwork of our Lord in the vessels that he uses. Uh, but before we get started in our study, I have to issue an apology because on our Wednesday study, several times I said Gideon in reference to uh, Gilead. You know, I, I, several times it was, it, it was uh, Gideon that I said instead of Gilead. And so I apologize for that. I want you to know that I've repented of that. And so, you know, we continue to study the word verse by verse, line upon line, precept upon precept. And in this introduction to the book of First Peter, uh, open your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And, you know, the reason why we're doing this, you know, in our study in Judges, you know, our Wednesday studies to the book of Judges, how many times did you, you know, when, when we look at the lives of certain people, the vessels that the Lord uses, and we look at the beforehand, you know, and sometimes we just don't know, like with Deborah, a judge of the Lord, so beautiful, but at the same time, not a lot is known about you know, the makeup of Deborah. We get a little bit of that in uh, 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 Jephthah. But then like in, you remember our study in Joshua, in Joshua chapter one. And, you know, that, that was a difficult chapter to study because, you know, there are beautiful promises that the Lord has for Joshua and for us. But when the Lord says those promises unto Joshua, you know, you have to look back at the life of Joshua to see when all Israel was defiled, who wasn't? You see? It's so beautiful to see when you look at the makeup of, you know, who the Lord sees, who the Lord chooses, who's for ministry. Remember when Paul, when he's speaking to the, or when he writes to the Corinthian church, he says, you know, we're the scum of the earth. He's speaking of himself, the workers, we're the scum of the earth. We're like the trash. He says, you guys, you guys are like kings. You guys, you know, we work unto the Lord, but you are the benefactors. It's for you. And we make this distinction between field and workers or building and workers. And of the workers, there's a very specific formula. And so we like, what is the makeup of these people? Workers called unto the Lord to work unto his field. And that's what we see here in the in the life of Peter. And open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 4. And in Matthew chapter 4, uh, Jesus here, he's already been baptized by John the Baptist. He's, he's already baptized. Now, things are just getting underway in his earthly ministry. But at the same time, we see the attacks come. Satan comes to tempt him. And, you know, it's very interesting to see these tactics that the devil uses. You know how, you know, and he came at Jesus with scripture, using scripture. And Jesus responded with the, it is also written. You see? And then the devil leaves and angels come to minister to Jesus. And that's where we are here in Matthew 4. And in Matthew 4 and verse 12, we see here in verse 12, now when Jesus heard that, John had been put in prison. Now, this is John the Baptist. He's in prison and he's about to be beheaded. And what happens with Jesus says here in verse 12 that he departed to Galilee and leaving Nazareth, 
that he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now, these are we see these regions and lands. And if you listen to our Old Testament studies on Wednesday, these aren't unknown. We see Jesus traversing these lands, the very lands that we study in Torah and the very the lands that we study in the book of Joshua and Judges. We see these, remember, inheritance. And these are lands that we've studied already. And here we see Jesus and he's traversing the land. He's in the region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And we see here in verse 14 that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet saying, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. You see, light has dawned. Now, in Matthew 4 here, we see what is... We, we see this happening. You know, when we study the Bible and, you know, when I teach, I kind of do it in real time. Like, you know, we're like there, you know, and then, you know, it's my recommendation unto you is to get used to that because it will help you when you place yourself there. It will help you to, you know, when you're in their sandals, it will help you. And, you know, we see this, we see what's happening here in Matthew 4 and Jesus dwelling in Capernaum and The very act, the very act of what we see here in Matthew 4 was told long ago by the beautiful vessel by the name of Isaiah. How did Isaiah know? How did Isaiah know? I'll give you the answer. It's it's really easy. The Lord told him. You see, how could he hear? Well, I'll give you the answer again. And it's also easy again intimacy. And in Isaiah, the formula was right. And he prophesied of these future events. And here we are in Matthew 4 and verse 16, where light has dawned and we're at the moment of fulfillment. In verse 16, the people have sat in people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. We're in the moment of fulfillment here in Matthew 4. Ten years prior, these were simply words of a prophet. Ten days prior, simply words of the prophet Isaiah. One day prior. Simply words of the prophet Isaiah. But the day of? Fulfillment. The day after? It has come to pass. A week after? It has come to pass. Today? It has come to pass. And, you know, when we understand and study these timelines, and we look at these timelines, you know, understand that the very passages that refer to future prophecy for us, they absolutely will come to pass. There's some, there's some events, prophetic events that have not yet come to pass. And it, it, it's, the Bible refers to them as perilous times, times of tribulation, times of sorrows. 
And yes, it's, uh, it's you know, uh, uh, this road that lies ahead. But at the same time, these will come to pass. They will be history. Not today. Not yet. But they will be history. And just like we see here in Matthew 4, what Isaiah the prophet prophesied about, given to him by the Lord. And we see this moment of fulfillment in Matthew 4. It's come to pass. Where in Matthew 4, but you know, if you if you were to go 10 years prior to Matthew 4 or 100 years prior to Matthew 4, these were future prophetic events. But now that we're here in Matthew 4, it has come to pass. Today, it has come to pass. But let me ask you a question. Who was there? Who was there that knew the words of Isaiah were being fulfilled? At that time, in the Matthew 4 generation, who was there that knew that the words of Isaiah were being fulfilled? Who? I'll give you the answer. Very, very, very few. Very few. I mean, Mary, Joseph, the households of the wise men, I mean, they're much older at this particular moment. John the Baptist, disciples of John the Baptist, who, you know, they didn't even know until John told them. You know, they say, you know, you know, they, they come to John the Baptist, they say, Rabbi, Rabbi. You know, they say, Jesus, you know, what do we do? Do we follow you? Do we follow Jesus? And I'm so in love with John the Baptist. You know why? Because John the Baptist doesn't say, hey, follow me, follow me, everybody follow me, you know, and he's not uh, concerned about the numbers. He says, no, I must decrease. I must decrease. And he is the one who must increase. He says to his students, you must follow him. Go to Jesus. And his disciples, his, his students didn't even know until they asked John. And John knew. You see? Who knew that the words of Isaiah were being fulfilled in the Matthew 4 generation at that particular moment when Jesus was dwelling in Capernaum? As is written in verse 13. When he's by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, who knew that the words of Isaiah were being fulfilled. Very, very few. The religious establishment? No way. The learned class? No way. They had no idea. But they had the scrolls. They had the scrolls. They studied the scrolls. They knew. They had the scrolls of Isaiah. They knew. No, they had no clue. It's very interesting to see this. What the Bible refers to as sons of Issachar. Very important. Even more important then, but even more so in these last days. And the word of God testifies. It's so beautiful to see male, female, young, Old, I mean, in the Old Testament, when you look at the book of Judges, it's like, you know, when the Lord became forgotten in the land, who remembered? And then you see these judges rise up. And you look at Deborah. 
And you look at Barak and how Deborah was the jumper cables to Barak and how, yes, the Lord was forgotten, but at the same time, who remembered? And Barak has his, has his jumper cables connected to Deborah. Remember, Deborah was, you know, he, she, he says to Deborah, you know, I know this war's coming. I know war's brewing, but I'm not going to war without you. I'm not going to fight without you. That's beautiful to see Deborah like that. And then don't forget Yael. Remember Yael? And her husband was was in 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 in, in, in aligned with the enemies of Israel. That was her husband, and Yael had a choice to make. Remember the the tent pig. And it's so beautiful to see this Ehud, Jephthah. And who is it that the Lord uses? This is something we see in Peter, and not just in Peter, but we see it so beautifully in Peter. And not just Peter, we see it beautifully in everybody that the Lord uses, Old Testament, New Testament. Remember, we make the distinction between covenants, and we make the distinction between rules of engagement within the covenants. And we see in verse 17, In Matthew 4, we see from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now on the timeline, you know, this is about 27 AD. This is about 27 AD. We're in Judea. Rome has control of the land and the areas that were predominantly Jewish. They were called Judea. You know, there are, you know, these regions, they have their they're governors and leaders, and these are governors and leaders that were aligned to Caesar, and such as Herod and Pilate and Caesar, just like Pharaoh was back in the day, was considered God, God on earth. That's, that's how Pharaoh and Caesar were considered in their time. Pharaoh was called God on earth. Caesar was called God on earth. And to have another God, you know, that's like a death sentence. And so that's kind of like the framework of where we're at at this particular juncture in Matthew 4. And, you know, when Peter writes his first letter, first Peter, it's much worse. It's much worse. I mean, the, the, the cost of being a Christian is much worse. But you see, Jesus, son of the Most High, commander of the armies of the Lord, the one who Moses wrote about, he's traversing the land. He begins his earthly ministry saying, repent, repent. The kingdom is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we see in verse 18, and Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee saw saw two brothers, Simon called Peter. Now, Peter was named Simon, but it was Jesus that gave him, Peter was named Simon. It was Jesus that gave gave him the name uh, uh, Peter. So, you know, like Cephas, and you know, when you look at translation, Cephas is uh, uh, Peter. Uh, But you see Peter here, he was named Simon. That was his given name, or or, or, uh, uh, his Simon was his given name, but it was the Lord that gave him the name Peter. And this is recorded by Brother Mark in Mark chapter 3. Now, remember about the Gospels. When the Gospels were written, you know, our early brothers, Matthew, Mark, Dr. Luke, and John, they weren't writing in real time. 
You know, when the Gospels were written, they had to reflect back and record their writings. You know, they had to reflect back and, you know, and what's so powerful is that, you know, when, when you know, Matthew, the book of Matthew, when his recording says, you know, Simon called Peter, what we read here in verse 18, but then Brother Mark sheds a nice light on things. You see, and this shedding of light is, you know, it's interchangeable too. where Matthew sheds light on, you know, the writings of Luke and, you know, who sheds light on the writings of uh, of John. And, you know, we're so spoiled today because, you know, we have the the full counsel of the word of God, Genesis to Revelation. We're so spoiled today. Because we can easily, you know, just flip a couple pages. Nowadays, you know, we have, you know, on our tablets, on our phones. And nowadays, you just swipe here and, you know, swipe up, swipe down. You read and it's so easy. And we're so spoiled now. But back in the day, the, the, the early church, they didn't have this, this, what we have today. And it's so beautiful because you see how the Bible, what, what Peter writes about is the very same thing that Isaiah wrote about. What what Joel wrote, wrote about is the very same thing that Paul wrote about. And what they speak of, why? Same Lord. Same Lord, same Spirit, same Master. It's very important to understand that. But even today, who are the teachers? Who were the teachers? You take Alexander Hymenaeus, for example. Alexander Hymenaeus. They don't shed light. They don't have light. Timothy and Titus, they have light. You take all four, Alexander, Hymenaeus, Timothy, and Titus. You see? Four pastors. We'll call them four pastors. Four teachers. Alexander, Hymenaeus, Timothy, and Titus. Four pastors. Four overseers. You see, we stress formula for a reason. Because when you know the formula, you know who to flee from and you know who to heed. You know who's watching out for your soul. And so we see here Jesus in verse 18 of Matthew 4. He's walking by the Sea of Galilee. The the very things that Isaiah wrote about. The very things that Isaiah spoke of were in a moment of fulfillment here in Matthew 4. What Brother Matthew recorded. And he's walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus. And he sees two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And then he said, follow me. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, it's such a beautiful thing to be a fisher of men. Such a beautiful thing to be a fisher of men. But understand, look in verse 19, we see this beautiful prerequisite. You know what it is? Follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's the prerequisite. Follow Jesus. Not a fake Jesus. Remember, the disciples asked Jesus, the real Jesus. They asked him, you know, what is the sign of your coming? And Jesus says, there will be many Christs, many Messiahs. You see? Propagated by the false teachers, the false prophets. There will be many Christs, Jesus said. So, you know, when we consider that, 
that reality of many Christs, how will we know the real Jesus? His word is above his name. Must align to the word of God. You see? Because a fake Jesus says, hey, you know, let's everybody go to the law. Let's do the works of the law. Let's, you know, everybody, all the guys get circumcised and, you know, we got to do this according to the law and, and Moses and doing another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. That's what Paul was worried about for the saints of Corinth and not just Corinth, but in Galatia too. But in the case of Galatia, it was happening. You see? The real Jesus, whose word is above his name. That's who we follow. Because without the real Jesus, the biblical Jesus, fishing for men, you know what that is? That's satanic seduction. Don't forget, Satan is a fisherman too. And we see Jesus here calling out to Peter and Andrew. And he says here in verse 19, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And this is something we see beautifully in the life of Peter, how he becomes a fisher of men. Now, he fished in the sea and had treasure. He earned income. But he fished on the earth and has treasure in heaven. And this is something that we see in the life of Peter, and it's so beautiful. And this is why we're taking a pause from, you know, our traditional flow, uh, in, you know, in First Peter, because we're going to look at the makeup of Peter. The makeup of Peter. Just like we see the makeup of Joshua. Remember Joshua? It's like, you know, you're in the book of Joshua. We are studying in the book of Joshua. And there's so many beautiful promises from God to Joshua. But you hit the rewind button. And you go all the way to our study in Exodus. Many, many moons prior to Joshua chapter 1. And when all Israel was defiled, Joshua was not. You see, he walked with the Lord. He honored the Lord. He feared God. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And in the life of Peter, we see here that, you know, he immediately left the nets and him and his, his brother Andrew, and they followed Jesus. And we see in verse 21, going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And we see here in verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee. Now, remember, his disciples, they're with Jesus, but they're in like a, a sponge phase, so to speak, where they're listening, they're soaking it all in. They're listening, they're learning, they're growing, they're maturing. And then we see the next step, which is they become deadly, the good deadly. But that's not happening yet. Here we are in Matthew 4 and everybody's kind of like in, you know, they're like, they're like babies, so to speak. They're just learning. They're walking with Jesus and they're in the sponge phase. 
And they see Jesus going about all gather with Jesus going about all Galilee in verse 23, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And these are healings that some people say are no longer for today. Oh, the Holy Spirit doesn't work like that anymore. That was for 2000 years ago. That's what they say. But it's the blind who say such things. You must not follow strange fire. It's the blind who say such thing. Very prevalent among the Calvinist and Reformed sects. Very prevalent. Oh, that was for 2000 years ago. It's not for today. They're wrong. They're mistaken. When it comes to the power and the moving and the gifts of the spirit in the word of God, you will not find an expiration date. You won't find it. You won't find an expiration date. You will find an expiration date on certain people. But there's a reason why that happens. It's because they leave the Lord. Wrong formula. Wrong formula, no power. You see? And all of a sudden we get to verse 24 here and Jesus, you know, in his earthly ministry in verse 24, then his fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea and beyond the Jordan. And what's happening here, the disciples, they're in the sponge face. And through the gospels, we see Peter mature, but we also see, you know, as Peter moves on to perfection himself, something that we're going to see as he exhorts Christians, as he exhorts the church, as he exhorts us today. And we're going to study that next week, Lord willing, in our study when we begin actually in First Peter. But today is kind of like the, the introduction. But we see Peter's growth as well. But we also see something else. We see a little bit of stumbling. Turn to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. And here in Matthew 16, in verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the son of man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. That's what the people would say about Jesus. Who do people say the son of man is? Verse 15, but what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? You see, and these are distinctions that must be made because the world is the world. Corn is corn. The leaven is the leaven. The dead are the dead. And saints are the saints. We have to make these distinctions. These distinctions had to, must be made throughout all time. I mean, you know, from 2000 years ago, from, from uh, uh, give or take a couple years, 
all the way today in the church age, these distinctions must be made. But even prior to uh, uh, Jesus Christ and his earthly ministry, because remember in our study in the Old Testament in Torah, how you see Moses when he's speaking to the people in his farewell discourse. And you see how, you know, how, how in his exhortation to the second generation and it's warning, it's like, whoa, you know, like, you know, remember how we would say, you know, like the people would want like, uh, I mean, maybe expecting like a, like a pep talk, like, whoa, like this is hardcore when Moses would just straight up say like, you're a stiff necked people. You know, it's it's not that his tongue was sharp, but what what was happening in the hearts of the people is that Moses knew by experience because it is history, but at the same time, Moses knew of ex- his experience too because the Lord says, "Hey, you can't you can't enter the promised land." Moses him, himself had those restrictions as what well, restrictions upon himself. He cannot go into the promised land. Why? Because he misrepresented the Lord. Remember, to whom is given, much more is required. And when we looked at those passages, remember, we look at the transfiguration as well. Because we see Moses there, but we see passage into the promised land, but not according to the flesh. It's very important to make these distinctions. You see? Because... In the Old Testament days, Korah could speak and Korah could make very valid arguments. But at the same time, do those arguments align with the word of God? You see? He can make a strong case according to the flesh. But could he make a strong case according to the word? No, there's disobedience. You see, leadership matters. Remember, remember uh, 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 Achan, how the, the Lord says to Joshua, you know, you be strong and courageous. I'm with you. You're going to go and you're going to fight and you're going to go engage in battle and engage in warfare and you will be victorious. And then you keep reading, you get into jo- uh, Joshua 7 and you see, well, what happened? How come Israel is taking casualties? Did the Lord change his mind? No, there was sin in the camp. What happened with Achan? You see, Achan made his choice. And he dishonored the Lord. And there was opportunity using the law. There was opportunity for him to be clean. And he didn't do that. I mean, remember, Joshua told him, you know, hey, tomorrow, this is what's going to happen. Think about that night. Achan could have said, you know, go to the priest. Go to an elder. Go to the priest. And just say, you know, hey, it was me. Where the priest could say like, okay, let's get you cleaned up. But he didn't do that. He had opportunity. And we must understand this to make these distinctions. And even more so in these last days, because apostasy is prophesied. A falling away from the truth, a falling away from the Lord. It is prophesied to happen. And it will happen. And it will hurt. It will be painful. And it is happening. And it does hurt. And it is painful. And these things will come to pass. They will be history one day. But not today. Because it's happening. We're living in it. 
And so Jesus asked, you know, like, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they replied in verse 14 here in Matthew 16, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Very interesting to see the theology that was going around because, you know, the theology, like, how could they say it's John the Baptist? How could they say Elijah? How could they even say Jeremiah or one of the prophets? Very interesting to see what in the world kind of theology is going around. Just, just the very fact that they can utter such things. That of what the people say the Son of Man is. And Jesus asked in verse 15, but what about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter. Simon Peter answered in verse 16, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. You see? Now, on the timeline, we're at about 29 AD. Peter is still growing. He's still young in Christ. He's still growing. He's about two years old. Spiritually speaking, he's about two years old. But remember, he's in sponge mode. He's soaking it all up, all the teachings he's getting from the Lord. And he says, you are the Messiah, son of the living God. Jesus replied, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter in verse 18. You are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Now, this is where Catholics misinterpret the text. If you're Catholic, I love you. But you're mistaken. This is where the Catholic sees Peter as the first pope. Oh, on this rock, I will build my church. You are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Therefore, Peter's the first pope. And, you know, everybody, let's go to Rome. It doesn't work that way. I mean, it works that way according to Catholicism. But Catholicism is unbiblical. You see? And what the text refers to here is... You know, you like little rock and big rock. That's what Peter, Peter means rock. Uh, Peter means piece of rock. And when Jesus then says on this rock, how that word translates is that it's a larger rock. I mean, picture a big boulder, picture a big boulder at the beach, the, the kind that you can climb on top of. And, you know, the ocean water is below, but you can be on top of this big boulder, this big, huge rock above the ocean water. And say, for example, we're there and I bend down and I chisel off a piece of rock and then I place the, you know, the piece of rock in your hand. Well, what's happening is that you and me were standing on the big rock and in your hand is the little rock. And that's what Jesus is saying to Peter. You're the little piece and I'm the mass. You see? And the mass, this is where the church is built. And that's what Jesus says here in, in, in verse 18, that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates, the gates of Hades will not overcome it. You see? Now, to my Catholic friends whom I love, how can the Catholic church be the rock that Jesus was speaking of? How? When he says that the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And today, the gates of Hades have overcome the Roman Catholic Church. I mean, I know that, I mean, if you're listening and you're Catholic, I know that's a, a very abrasive statement, but the very catechisms of Catholicism permit salvation outside of Christ through Abraham. 
And if this were possible, remotely possible, then Jesus died in vain. You see, the very foundations of Catholicism are anathema to the truth of Scripture. And I say this as a former Catholic. See, we have to understand Scripture. The days are evil. The days of deception, they're not coming. They're here. You see, for my Catholic friends whom I love, come out of her, my people. I mean, if Peter was the first pope, then where, where do we see in Scripture that, you know, in Scripture, where do we see Peter saying, kiss my ring? Where do we see it? In Scripture. Where do we see the so-called first pope, the first vicar say, hey, kiss my ring? Where do we see that in Scripture? It doesn't happen. You know why? He's not the first pope. You see? We have to understand the scriptures. I know Catholicism teaches that Peter was the first pope, but they're wrong. The very foundations of that sect is wrong. Anathema to Christ. Different Jesus. Different Jesus. Remember, many Christs. Many Christs. And Jesus speaking to Peter here in verse 18 says the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Speaking about the big rock. Speaking about himself. In verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he ordered his, his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. And here, Peter, he's, you know, he's a little older in Christ. He's still young. And look how far he's come along in his growth. Look how far he's come in his growth. But even still, he's not without correction because we get into verse 21. And in verse 21, we see here from that time, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life again. Now, to this day, these are subject matters that I don't like, but I also love. I don't like because our Lord was beaten. He was bruised, mocked, scourged, and crucified. And it hurts. I don't, I don't, I don't like it. But I also love what our Father has done. I, oh, it's so beautiful. I'm so in love with what He has done. Because it's how we're saved. It's not just that he was beaten and bruised. He was beaten and bruised for your iniquity, for my iniquity. And these are things that we have to keep in mind as we endure the times. These are things that we can't forget. When everybody else is forgetting, as for you, don't forget. You see, just like in the age of the judges, when the Lord became forgotten, who didn't? Who didn't forget the Lord? 
you see? And then you have Deborah, Ehud, Jephthah, his beautiful daughter. Don't forget the Lord. And it is prophesied to happen. People will forget the Lord. Apostasy. People will forget the Lord. But as for you, the remnant, don't. And we see here, you know, Jesus, when he explains to his, his disciples that he's going to die. That he must be killed. And he will suffer at the hand of the elders, the priests, and the teachers. But he's going to be raised to life. And in verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter, rebuking Jesus. Never, Lord, exclamation point. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you, exclamation point. And I get it. I understand. I understand. You know, the Messiah, son of God, and they're going to, they're going to beat him. Jesus is going to suffer and they're going to kill him. And Peter says, never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. And notice what happens here in verse 23. Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. That's what Jesus says to Peter. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And these are things that we have to keep in mind as we begin our study in Peter's letters. Next week, Lord willing, when we start 1 Peter, we have to keep this in mind because you know what we're going to see, and we, we, you know, even today we're going to see it, but you know what we see is how Peter, how he moves on to perfection. We see him grow. We see him mature. We see him become deadly, the good deadly where he doesn't have human concerns in his writings to Christians, in his writings to the church, in his writings to you and to me. But here, when he's younger, younger in the faith, baby Christian, he does have human concerns in mind. Where the Lord says, you know, I'm, I'm going to suffer. The elders, priests, and teachers, I will suffer and I'm going to be killed. But I will be raised to life. See, Jesus told them, I'm going to be raising. These are things that the, they, they forgot when they were hiding and they forgot. But what happens is that they start to remember. Oh, yeah, Jesus says this. Oh, yeah, I remember when he said that. But here at this particular moment in, 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 in our study here, in our introduction to the book of 1 Peter, we see the growth of Peter. And even in his growth, we also see his little falls, not the big falls, but a little fall. Remember, we come to Jesus at 0%, but we don't stay at, at 0%. We move on to perfection. We go from 0%, and then all of a sudden, we go 5, 10, 50, but it's not a smooth shot. It's not like, you know, a, a, a nice upward slope. No, that's a jagged slope. 
I mean, the, the general aggregate, it is the ups and the downs, the ups and the downs, the ups and the downs. You ever look at like the stock market where you look at like, you know, like the performance, say the S&P 500, you look at the S&P 500 for, you know, a week and you, you know, you, you, you don't see like the, the, the overall aggregate, you know, S&P 500 for a week, you know, you might see like, you know, the, you see the ups and downs, but you don't see the general aggregate. But then you look at, you know, the 10 year window or, you know, and then you see like, whoa, you see the, the growth pattern and that's the life of the Christian. It's not one smooth slope where we're moving on to perfection. No, you're going to have the ups and the downs. And then we see that in Peter as well. You're going to have the ups and the downs. Where like, you know, in, in verse 18, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church. And he says to him, you know, the, the, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you in verse 17. But my father in heaven. And then just a couple verses down. Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. Exclamation point. Verse 23, get behind me, me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Merely human concerns. I love that. You see? And here in Matthew 16, you know, we see Peter, you know, just like you and me, he's a work in progress. The same way you're a work in progress, the same way I'm a work in progress. But you know what? You and me together, we're moving on to perfection. We're moving on to perfection. Now, you know, Lord permitting, when we say Lord permitting, you know what we mean because, you know, we've studied our, our, our through the book of Hebrews. You know exactly what we mean. If you're listening for the first time, go back and listen to our study through the book of Hebrews because you'll understand what, you know, Lord permitting. When we see the exhortation to move on to perfection, if the Lord permits, very specific blueprints. And with Peter, Jesus tells him, you know, this has been revealed to you by my father. Picture Peter's smile. You know, who do people say I am? And then, you know, but who do you say I am? And then Peter responds and Jesus tells him, this has been not, not by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And picture Peter's smile. A little astonishment too. Like, you know, like, okay, you know, like, wow, Jesus says this of me. Picture that smile. But then a short while later, get behind me, Satan, exclamation point. Whoa. And Peter too, just like you and me, we have our ups, we have our downs. But I'll tell you something about maturing in Christ. My sins today are nothing like they were 20 years ago. You see? And it's so, I mean, like, arguments, like, the arguments now are so cheesy. You know, it's not like, like, back in the day, like, 25 years ago, I would go to blows. Like, you know, I get in an argument, okay, like, you know, we're going to handle some business. But arguments today, they're practically non-existent. They're not even argument. Like, if I were to tell you, like, yeah, that was an argument, you'd be like, what? That wasn't even an argument. You know, it was just kind of like, you know, like, I have my point of view, another person has their point of view, and it's like, okay, nothing's it. What can I do about it? You see, it's like, okay, we, that's what's so beautiful about growing. You're, you change, you become different. 
The sins 25 years ago are not like the sins today. The sins today, it's like, you know, Lord, forgive me because, you know, it wasn't an action that was done, but the thought came in my head. You see? And I don't want my minds to be like this. Forgive me, Lord. I don't want to have this thought. You see? You have these, you know, people fighting for their abortion, people fighting they want to teach transgenderism to the kids and stuff, and it makes it riles me up. I don't like it. And Lord, forgive me because I want this vessel to be pure before you. I don't want this filth in my mind. I don't want to think this way. And vengeance is yours, Lord. You see? Where, you know, 25 years ago, it'd be like a different kind of repenting. It would be the kind of repenting where there was actually, you know, actions involved. Where today it's like the thought in my head. Lord, forgive me. You see, it's like, wow, you know, the whole repenting becomes different. It's still repenting because remember, you know, we have to be clean before the Lord, but it's different. And this is something we see in Peter. This is something you see in yourself. I mean, if you're repenting for like, you know, like sex and drugs and, you know, Buddha and witchcraft and Wicca and all these, and, you know, and you're a Christian and 10 years later, you're repenting of the same things. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. You probably need a new pastor. No, scratch that. You need a new pastor. You see, because leaven can't stay leaven. We have to move on to perfection if the Lord permits. And when you listen to our studies in Hebrew, you understand like, okay, what's happening? What's the framework here? Why is it that a person is in first grade and stays in first grade and doesn't move on to second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, moving on to perfection? Why? And if you're a Christian and you're repenting of the same exact things that you're repenting of five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, the sex, the drugs, the rock and roll, the Wicca, the Buddha, the Ouija boards, the occult and the gambling and, and there's still no change. Well, there's something wrong. And I don't say this to hurt you. I say this because I love you. You need a new pastor. Because in the case of Corinth, only the clean can clean. And when the pastor was defunct, Look what happens. Look at the mess that was in Corinth, where the Lord cleaned house using vessel Paul and vessel Chloe. Very important to have this understanding of scripture, this understanding of maturing and growing in Christ. And it's very interesting to see the in our study in the book of Judges, how the people, the Lord became forgotten and they call out to God and they pray to the Lord. But what's very interesting is that they also have the Baals that they worship. You see? They pray to the Lord. The Lord sends a prophet and the prophet tells them like, you know, hey, straight up, you've forgotten the Lord. But then you keep reading, you figure like, okay, the people are going to get cleaned up and everything's going to be good to go. But it doesn't happen. You see, there's also the Baals. The asterisk, the molex. And that's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. It's like, yeah, I go to church. 
I'm a Christian. I go to church. I listen to the message. I'm, the, uh, you know, I, I'm a Christian. Come on, let's go gambling. Let's go to the casino. Church on Sunday, casino on Monday. You see? Strippers on Saturday, church on Sunday. It doesn't work that way. And if you're a believer and you're a Christian and you're repenting of the same things 10 years ago, the same things five years ago, hey, get a new pastor. Get a new pastor. Because we have to mature in Christ and move on to perfection. And what is it that's arresting that spiritual development in your life? What is it? Well, my pastor says this is okay. My pastor says this is okay. Look, I go to church and I feel like, you know, a million bucks. I feel good about myself. Okay, well, what's up with the sex? What's up with the drugs? What's up with the crack pipe? What's up with the gambling? What's up with the Ouija boards? What's up with the Buddha? Because that's sin. Oh, but my pastor, he makes me feel good. It's a nice little pep talk, you know, 20-minute pep talk. Wrong formula. That's not a good pastor. You see? And if you're listening for the first time, I love you. But go back and listen to our study through 1 Corinthians all the way to the book of James. And get yourself caught up. You'll understand a lot more. It will help you grow. It will help you mature. It will help you become deadly. The good deadly, not the bad deadly, the good deadly. You see? And here in the life of Peter, we see the same ups and downs that you and me experience where, you know, like Peter on cloud nine. Wow. You know that the Lord Jesus, he said like, wow, this has been revealed by our father, my father in heaven. And wow, this is so cool. And then all of a sudden get behind me, Satan. You see ups and the downs, the ups and the downs. And just like, you know, S&P 500, you look at like a day's performance and there's, there's not much to see. You look at a month's performance, there's not much to see. But you look at 10 years and you see the general aggregate. It's the upward moment, momentum. You see? And it's the same in the life of a Christian. Where you will have your ups and your downs on the day to day. You will have your ups and the downs in the week to week and month to month and year to year even. But the general aggregate is upward momentum. You see? And don't, don't take that as an excuse to be like, okay, well, since I do have the ups and downs, it's okay for me to sin. No, no, no. Remember Paul? In the, our study in the book of Romans, does that mean so that, that, does that mean we should sin more so that grace can abound? Nope, doesn't work that way exclamation point he said well i meant his statement and then the exclamation point it's very important for us to understand this and know it so that we can live right before the lord and be clean before the lord and so jesus it says, you know, get behind me, Satan. In verse 23, you're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. You don't have in mind the concerns of God. This is Jesus saying to Peter, you don't have in mind the concerns of God. But what's so beautiful in 1 Peter, what we're going to study next week, Lord willing, is you're going to see Peter's different. He does have in mind the concerns of God. 
and as a vessel of the Lord. The very writings that came out of his heart and made it onto parchment paper, exhorting the Christians of that generation and even still today were captured in the canon of Scripture. Where here in in uh, in uh, uh, Matthew 16, he does not have the concerns of God. His mind is not on the concerns of God. But then when he writes his letters, he does have in mind the concerns of God. Caring for the people. Caring for the church. Caring for the flock of God. Teaching the flock of God. Pouring into the flock of God. Not concerned about human things, but about the things of the Lord. And that's something that takes time. It's not like, you know, immediate transformation. It takes time. You know, you could be a prostitute. You could be a drug dealer. You could be a criminal. You could be like whatever. You could do your white collar crimes. You think everything's good to go, but no, you do your extortion. And you come to Christ, all kinds of dirty. You come to Christ, let's get you cleaned up. And when we yield to the Lord and we yield to the word of God, all of a sudden what happens is that we start to learn truth. We start to learn the ways of righteousness. And you and me together, yielding to the word of God, led by the spirit. Remember, the spirit of the Lord helps us yield to the word of God. The, the uh, another spirit it leads to you know an, you know something else you know disobedience but the spirit the holy spirit the holy spirit of the lord helps us yield to the word of god and the word became flesh that's the holy spirit i mean whenever you hear a pastor and it's happening today major you know global you know denominations they have global outreach very very large uh, a sect and you have pastors that say, hey, you know, let's go grave soaking. And grave soaking, what that is, is they say, you know, let's go go to the cemetery and we're going to lay on these grave sites and we're going to soak up the Holy Spirit that was with the dead people. You know what that is? That's necromancy. That's an abomination before the Lord. They call it the Holy Spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. It is another spirit. Not the Holy Spirit. It is another spirit. And we have to make these distinctions. This is what Paul was afraid of. When Paul says to the Corinthian saints, he he, he indicates his phobia. He says, I'm scared for you Christians. I love you. You have 10,000 teachers, but one father. He's speaking of himself. And he says, I'm terrified for you guys. Because the preacher guy is going to come in, the servant of Satan. You're not going to realize it's a servant of Satan, but he's going to come in. And, you know, he's going to come in with another Jesus, another gospel, and another spirit. And you know why I'm afraid? He says, you're going to put up with him. You're going to listen to him. Instead of kicking him out, you're going to listen to him. You see? That's Paul when he explains his fear to the saints. And Peter, or Paul himself had his own growth and maturity and where he become, became deadly. Just like we see here with Peter. And it's so beautiful because you see, yes, Jesus rebuked him. He says, get behind me, Satan. But at the same time, we understand that in Peter, as he grows and matures, you see Peter's ups and downs, just like you see your ups and downs, just like I see my ups and downs in Christ. 
where it's not 0% to 100% like, you know, one one straight shot. No, when we hit 100%, we're going to be dead. But we can hit 99.9%. But 100%, we're going to be dead. And we move on to perfection. We move on to 99.9%. But you're going to hit 15%, 20%, and then you might go down to 14%. You see? But then you repent, you get right with the Lord, and boom, right back up. Upward mobility, 15%, 16%, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22, 24. And then like, okay, down to, you know, 22%, a little little, little down. And then, you know, Lord, forgive me, I repent. And then, you know, back up, you know, 23, 24, 25. That's, that's the life of a Christian. You see? And what happens today, a lot of times Christians say, oh, you know, we're all sinners. We're all sinners, which is true. We're all sinners. But too many times people use that as an excuse. Oh, we're all sinners and we're saved by grace. We're all sinners. So come on, let's go do our crack. We're all sinners. You know, we're not saved by work. So come on, let's go to the strip club. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. We move on to perfection. We move on to perfection. But even in saying that and understanding that, yes, we move on to perfection, there are limitations to that. Because remember, remember our study in Hebrews, if the Lord permits. What are the things where the Lord is not permitting? You know what it is? The works of the flesh. You see? That's why there's separation in Corinth. For three years, uncorrected, the pastors, the overseers, the elders never corrected the sin that was rising up in the church. And the flesh, the carnality, the carnal nature turned into leaven. You see? And that's when Paul says, your rejoicing isn't good. It is not a good thing. You're rejoicing. Just like Brother James when he says, listen, this isn't a time to be, you know, full of laughter and joy. He says, no, it's a time to mourn and weep. Picture a pastor who says that. It's not a time for joy and laughter. It's a time to weep and mourn. Would you go to a church where the pastor says it's time to weep and mourn? And people want to go to church, you know, uh, praise the Lord, hallelujah, hands raised, and they want to worship the Lord and have their hands raised and everything. But what happens when in the church there's the carnal nature, the, the leaven in the church, where you have the, instead of the overflowing of the fruit of righteousness, you have the overflowing of the rotten fruit of the flesh. Where inside the church, instead of a church, it feels more like a nightclub. Attire included. The way the men dress, the way the females dress. It's like, wow, you know, am I in church or am I in a, in a nightclub? And there's a whole lot of sex in the church. What pastor would even say that? Hey, you know, it's not a time for joy. It's not a time for laughter. It's a time to weep and mourn. It's a time where we as a church body, we need to repent. We need to repent and be right before the Lord. That's what Paul did. That's what James did. That's what Peter does. But the pastors today? Oh, yeah, you know, 
we got to feel good. I want you to be full of joy. I want you to be happy. You want to do your sex? Okay, I'm just going to love on you. You want to do your, your crack? You want to do your meth? Okay, I'm just going to love on you. You want to do your Buddha and worship Mary? You want to do your Wicca? Okay, I'm just going to love on you. But what pastor will say? You need to repent. The days are very deceptive, the days in which we live in today. You see? And when you have the defunct pastors, growth cannot happen. Maturing in Christ cannot happen. Why? Because the saints don't know. Yes, the saints have a choice to make. But at the same time, the saints, they don't know. Why? They've never been taught. James, when he, you know, like, you know, hey, James, how come when I pray, nothing happens? How come when I pray, I don't receive? And James says, it's not the Lord, it's you. Remember our study in the book of James? And Jesus, in speaking to Peter, he just rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Very interesting, because don't forget, Peter tried to rebuke Jesus. Never, Lord, that's not going to happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Because it must happen. Verse 24, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my, my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Denial of self. You see, that means human concerns out the window. Your cross, don't let it collect dust on the ground. You got to pick it up. You got to carry it. Don't forget Jesus Christ himself. He had help carrying his cross. And that's the body of Christ. Just like we see, Brother James, you know, uh, 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 confess your uh, trespasses to one another, tr confess the transgressions to, to one another. We help each other carry our cross. I help you carry yours. You help me carry mine. You see, that's what the church body does. But we have to understand formula. Because among the defunct, among the leaven, that is very dangerous. Very dangerous. You and me, we have to carry our cross. We have to reckon the old man dead. We have to reckon the old woman dead. And people say, oh, that's works-based salvation. That's works-based salvation. You're teaching works-based salvation. That's what they say. But is not works a package deal? You listen to our study through Hebrews and James and you'll understand all about the package deal. It's not works alone. Package deal. And that's what Jesus says here. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. You know, denial of self, you know what that is? Humility. And it doesn't end there. Must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Look at our Lord himself. His denial of himself. When he's praying to 
our Father in heaven, hallowed be his name. And he says, Father, take this cup from me. Take it. I don't want it. Take it. But then he says, take this cup from me, but not my will. Thy will. You see, complete and total denial. Take this cup from me. The beating, the scourging, take it from me. That's his prayer unto his father. Take it from me. But then he says, not my will. Thy will. You see, we learn from him. We follow him. Servants of Jesus. Servants of Jesus. This is how servants of Jesus teach. Like John the Baptist, follow Jesus. Like Paul, follow Jesus. Timothy, follow Jesus. Peter, follow Jesus. You see? With Paul, he says, follow me. But not follow me, period. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And the Bible even says that there are these people who are patterns for emulation. You see, look at Chloe. What a beautiful pattern she is. And you look at Epaphroditus. And Paul says, hold people such as this in high esteem. What a beautiful pattern. But you can't follow the defunct. You say, how in the world can we know that this pastor is defunct? How in the world can we know that this teacher is defunct? Where the word reveals. The Lord shows us. The Lord tells us. You see? You listen to our study through the pastoral epistles. I mean, if you're listening for the first time and you don't know, go back and start in 1 Corinthians and listen all the way to the, at the end of the book of James and you'll understand a whole lot more. And it will help you in your walk with Christ. Together, moving on to perfection. You see? And Jesus says in verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. You see, when we look at our studies through Judges, you know, and you know, we've even said it, but you know, I often wonder about the lives of the Judges. We see Jephthah, how, you know, a little bit in our study in Jephthah, because, you know, with Jephthah, he was uh, kind of like the runt of the family. And Deborah, you know, I wonder what her life was like as a kid, as a child, her upbringing. And somewhere along the way, she learned to stand. Remember Hebrews, how obedience is a learned thing, our study in the book of Hebrews? Obedience is a learned thing. And that's a characteristic of vessels in the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, male, female, young, old. Obedience. And they stood and stood valiantly. But they didn't just stand their stand was obedience unto the Lord. Their stand was to honor the Lord. Their stand was to glorify the Lord. Their stand was to be a sweet aroma unto the Lord. With Peter, 
we're seeing this transformation in real time. I mean, in this particular study, when we look at, you know, he's a fish, a fisherman and the Lord says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And then all of a sudden you see the ups and downs in the life of Peter as he moves on to perfection. We're seeing this transformation in real time in this particular study. A fisherman transforming into a fisher of men. Not without chastisement. Remember our study in Hebrews? The Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Not without chastisement. Very interesting what we see. And Jesus is saying in verse 25, whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? I mean, you hear these words of Jesus when he speaks. And every single person realizes that they're at a fork in the road. I mean, when Jesus says in verse 25, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. I mean, if you're listening for the first time, that's kind of like, like, whoa, like maybe you've never heard that before. Every single one of us, we have forks in our road at multiple times, multiple, multiple times, just in one day alone. I mean, sometimes multiple, multiple, multiple times in just 10 minutes. And the question is, do I believe or do I not believe? That's the question that we all ask of ourselves. Do I believe or do I not believe? Because remember, package deal, belief evokes a response. You see, balls in your court, balls in my court. We have a choice to make for ourselves. We have a choice. Remember, remember Yael with the tent pig? Our study in Judges? I meant to come against her husband. Her husband that aligned with the, the enemies of Israel. Giving quarter to the enemies of Israel. And Yael had a choice to make. Do I honor my husband? Or do I honor the better husband? You see? Capital H. Do I honor the Lord? Baal was in her court. And she chose wisely. Baal's in your court. You have a choice to make. And if that's you, you're listening. And you realize that, you know what? There's something to what this guy is saying. You know, my, I go to church and I've been a Christian and I've repented for my sex, my pornography, my crack. I've repented for my Buddha. I've repented for my Wicca. I've repented for my yoga. I've repented for my Ouija board. I've repented for my, you know, my alcohol, my whiskey. I've repented for, you know, the, the casino, the nightclubs, the, 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 the strippers, the prostitutes. I've repented of all these things. And I did that 10 years ago. And I'm still repenting of those very same things. And you're realizing that your pastor, the person who you call pastor, 
is in fact defunct. He has no business at the pulpit. He said, "Well, she's female. My pastor's female. Okay, that's you know that 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 that, that that's a whole new ball of wax. Wrong formula." And if you're listening and you're like, you know what? I, I am repenting of the same things 10 years ago, five years ago, three years ago. I'm repenting of the same things. You and me, we move on to perfection if the Lord permits. And if you're not moving on to perfection, why is that? You see? And you have... Multiple forks in the road at multiple junctures in just 10 minutes alone, just, you know, in a day alone. And you have a choice to make. You haven't been taught well, if that's you. Which, in talking to people, in communicating with people through various means, it's very common, surprisingly common. And I hate to say this, but I wonder if it's the norm. But you have a choice to make. And you hit pause. You listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now. Commit your life to Christ. You say, I'm already a Christian. Okay, hit pause. Listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you recommit your life to Christ. No more playing games. Those days are over. You see? And then you come back, you listen, and we grow together. We move on to perfection together. To paradise together. And you see here in, in verse 21, Jesus, he's speaks, he speaks of the resurrection. When he says that, you know, in, in verse 20, that he's going to suffer by the hands of the elders, the priests, the teachers, and he must be killed, but on the third day, be raised to life. His resurrection. And you remember our study in 1 Corinthians 15? He's the first fruits of the resurrection. And here in verse 27, we see here in, 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 in verse 27, for the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. You see? And Jesus here is speaking of his return, where you see in verse 21, the resurrection, and then in verse 27, you see his return. Very interesting. Now, we don't teach a pre-tribulation rapture. I know that's a shock to a lot of people. We do not teach a pre-tribulation rapture. And you know why? It's because it's not in the Bible. You will not find it in the Bible. And a lot of Christians today say, you know, oh, Jesus comes for his church. And then after seven years, he comes with his church. I know it's what, it's what pastors say. I know it's what seminaries say. I know it's what Bible colleges say. I know it's what theology schools say. But there's a problem. Jesus doesn't say it. Jesus does not say it. Because Jesus, in verse 27, says he returns with his angels. No mention of a return with the church. 
Oh, but we're raptured, you know, on earth is tribulation where, you know, and, and then, you know, on earth is tribulation and we, we enter the Bema judgment. But that's not what Jesus says. In verse 27, Jesus returns with his angels and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. He said, wait a second. Okay, so the Bema seat is at the end of the seven years. Again, Jesus says his return is with the angels, not with the church. You see, the pre-tribulation rapture theory, it does not fit scripture. It doesn't fit. I've heard the arguments. I understand the theory. But the problem is that it doesn't fit. And if you're listening, and that's a shock to you, because most churches teach pre-tribulation rapture. And if that's a shock to you, and even troubling to you, I challenge you. I challenge you, go and listen to our studies on the rapture. Thewayunderground.com Everything is housed there for you to listen and you can understand. And you'll see passages, you'll see our studies, our studies through the Thessalonian letters. It's very important for the church, the generation in these last days to understand. Very important. And people say, oh, how dare you speak this way? How dare you speak this way? It's not a salvation issue. You know what I say? Oh, contraire. Oh, contraire. It is a salvation issue today. It is a salvation issue. You know why? Because Christians, what's happening in the church today? Christians are now saying that they can take a mark in their hand or their forehead, whatever form it is, because when that happens on earth, they say, we're still here. And in saying that, they say, that means that the rapture hasn't happened yet. So we can take the mark, whatever form it is, if it's on the hand, the forehead, wherever it is, we can take it because if we're still here, that means the rapture hasn't happened. You even have pastors today who say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You'll still be saved. You see? The days of deception aren't coming. They're here. And they're not just here. They've grown worse. Remember, little, little serpent in Genesis. Little serpent in Genesis. But a big dragon in Revelation. From serpent to dragon, somebody else has been growing. You see? The pre-trib rapture theory, pre-tribulation rapture, that's a trap. You have pastors saying, go ahead and take the mark of the beast, you'll still be saved. You have Christians today who believe that we can go ahead and take whatever mark we could ever take, the, the hand or forehead, we can take it, because if we're still here, that means the rapture hasn't happened yet. And they also say, well, you know, it's not a salvation issue. It has become a salvation issue. 50 years ago, 100 years ago, I could understand that it's not a salvation issue. I could understand the argument. But today, when you have Christians that say, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You have pastors who teach, go ahead and take the mark of the beast. You have Christians who say, yeah, I can take it because if we're still here, that means the rapture hasn't happened. It has become a salvation issue. 
You see, remember our study through Thessalonians. If you've been walking with us for a while in our study through Thessalonians, remember the evacuation phase one, phase two evacuation and Jesus returns with his angels. Just like verse 27 here says in Matthew. You see, everything fits. It fits. You don't have to come up with these extra, you know, well, you know, that means this. Well, you know, there's this and all, you know, it doesn't really mean this. No, no, everything fits. Go and listen to those studies so that you can be ready for the times at hand. And you see Peter here. What's happening in Peter is that you see him growing, maturing. And Peter, in his own growth, he absolutely has the ups and the downs. He absolutely has them. Where, you know, it gets to the point where he does deny Jesus. He does deny Jesus three times. And what's so beautiful is repentance. That's what's so beautiful about repentance. Because Judas denied the Lord too. And he failed to repent. Peter, he repented and was restored. Just like Brother James teaches. Just like James teaches. Where the Lord resists the proud. But the Lord, he gives grace to the humble. You see, look at Judas and Peter. Both denied the Lord. Both of them denied the Lord. But who received grace? You see, the humble. Who didn't receive, who was resisted? The proud. Everything fits. The very words that Brother James taught and teaches and wrote and still teaches to this day, captured in the canon of Scripture, inspired of the Spirit, Brother James wrote. Inspired of the Spirit, Matthew wrote. Paul wrote. These vessels of the Lord. Inspired of the Spirit, Peter wrote captured in the canon of scripture and everything fits perfectly. You see, are you estranged from Christ? Like Peter was, are you estranged from Christ? Like Judas was, it's a heavy statement. To even mention the name of Judas and invoke the possibility that could be it could be anybody who's estranged from Christ. But it is true. Estrangement from Christ. We have to look at the heart. And that's what's so beautiful about humility. And if you're realizing right here, right now. Maybe you used to walk with the Lord and you no longer walk with the Lord. Maybe the Lord became forgotten in your life. You know what I say? Cut it out. Let's end that right here, right now. Let's end it. And if you're estranged from Christ, you look at the heart of Judas, you look at the heart of Peter, both denied the Lord. Both walked away from the Lord. Peter repented. He was humble and he received grace. And you, 
If you're listening and you're estranged from the Lord, humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. And He will give you grace. You hit pause. You listen to the message, how to how commit your life to Christ. And you do exactly that. And you recommit your life to Christ. Come back to Christ. Come home. Come home. Be estranged no more. You realize you're estranged? Well, let's fix that. Let's end that right here, right now. Come home. You come back, you listen, we grow together. We mature together. And with Peter, he's been restored. You see restoration. He Yes, he denied Jesus Christ. And I don't want to gloss over that like that. Like it's no big deal. No, it's a big deal. But with repentance is also a big deal. Because you see restoration. And we see that in Peter. Now on this timeline that we're traversing today, the Lord, he's been resurrected. And as promised, Peter receives the baptism of the Holy Spirit where he speaks in tongues. And the people that are around him, they think he's crazy. And Peter and, you know, he's with a small group of believers. They receive, you know, tongues of fire. And the people who hear, they think they're all crazy. They think they, they lost their minds. And the Jews from every nation, what happened is they were gathering in accordance to the law. And remember, we're, we're at, you know, like uh, uh, Pentecost. And, you know, the Jews, they gather and they're uh, uh, in performing the law. And in accordance to the law, they come and they gather. But at the same time, what happens is that they hear this small group of Christians speaking in their own native language, their own native dialecta. And the crowd assumes, oh, they're all drunk. Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 2. Acts, chapter 2. And we see Peter's growth. Peter's growth. Ups and downs included. Peter, he's about three years old in Christ. Three years old in Christ. Three. Three. I mean, with Corinth, look what happened in three years. But with Peter, look what happened in three years. You see? A lot can happen in three years, bad and good. Ball was in his court and he chose wisely. And you see Peter's growth, but not without the ups and downs, not without chastisement. And in the life of Peter, we see the very teachings, what Paul wrote about, what, what, uh, 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 what James writes about in the life of Peter alone. You see him chastised by the Lord and, you know, understanding Hebrews, we know that you know, the Lord disciplines and chastises those whom he loves. You see how, like Brother James says, that the Lord resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Well, you know, you see Peter on the receiving end of grace. Why? His heart was humble before the Lord, even after denying the Lord. Not once, not twice, three times. In Peter, you see the ups and the downs. Sometimes you see the big downs. Look at how he's growing. Look at his own growth. Look at what the Lord has done in Peter. And so here we are in Acts chapter 2. 
In verse 13, where, you know, the others mocked, saying they are full of new wine. You see the people that are gathering, you know, they were gathering, you know, in, in performance of the law and doing the law in accordance to the law. And they thought the small group of Christians where Peter was, they thought they were all drunk. And in verse 14, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. Now, some translations say it's only nine in the morning. We're not drunk at all is what Peter is saying. Look at this beautiful, beautiful brother. Look at this beautiful, beautiful vessel baptized with the Holy Spirit. And Peter, he continues to speak in verse 16. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Peter was, he was not a learned man in the custom of Adam. No degree on the wall, no certificates on the wall. His credence, he walked with Jesus. And remember, Peter, he's speaking to the learned class, the so-called learned class, the ones who know the law and are observing the law. That's who Peter, unlearned of Adam, unlearned of Adam, is speaking to the learned of Adam. See? And Peter, unlearned of Adam, Adam, and yet learned of the Christ. He's quoting the prophet Joel. Look at verse 17. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall, shall, shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants you see a lot of men today men 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 i love you my beautiful brothers in christ i love you i love you i love you but a lot of men need to check themselves oh women step aside step aside and let the men handle this that's what the foolish men say because the prophet joel testifies of both male and female you see, of both male and female. Very important to understand. And we see these beautiful women all through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. I'm very fond of these people because they have like an extra fight. Because it's one thing, just like we mentioned on Wednesday, you know, it's one thing to be a male in Corinth. It's one thing to be a guy in Corinth, but to be Chloe. It's one thing to be uh, Deborah. Or, you know, it's one thing to be Ehud. But Deborah, that's like, you know, and, and, and you know, going against the flow, but like with extra oomph. Because the cultural norms were very male-centric. But in Christ, remember, there is no male, female. In Christ, there is no Jew nor Gentile. The Lord, he's no respecter of persons. 
And a lot of men today compromise themselves. They're compromised, but they compromise themselves with the sex, with the drugs, with the alcohol, with the pornography, with the strippers, with the prostitutes, with the gambling, with the meth, with the occult, with the Ouija boards, along with their false doctrines, deceiving themselves. Remember, it's self-inflicted. But do you remember our studies through Deuteronomy and Joshua, our studies through Torah, where when the formula, when it's time for war and the, and the formula is wrong, you know what the Bible says? Stay home. Yeah, there's a fight, but it's not for you. You know why? Wrong formula. You cannot fight. A lot of men need to check themselves. Oh, we're men. We're tough men. You know, you know they, got the, they got the deep voice. They got the deep voice. They got the big arms. They got the hairy chest. Okay, looks like a man. He's a man. But you know what? He's a little tiny boy. It's very important to understand what the Bible teaches. Look at Deborah. Look at Yael. Look at Hannah. All these beautiful people. Chloe. Priscilla. Lydia. How beautiful it is to see. And I love it when we see these women. You know why? Because it's like the extra oomph. It's like they have an extra, you know, that extra opposition because of cultural norms, societal norms. And what do they do? They stand. To my sisters in Christ, let no one despise your sex. Let no one despise your sex. Stand. Make your stand. Fight, fight the good fight. And let's get it on. Now, remember the rules of engagement, you know, the, no, no, your L's, you know, the rules of engagement of the, uh, of the Old Testament, you know, observe Israel according to the flesh. That's the rules of engagement of another covenant. As new covenant believers, we fight according to the spirit. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are spiritual. In verse 18, Peter, he continues, he says, and on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. They shall prophesy. You see, it's so important because, you know, you have people today who say, oh, that was for 2000 years ago. That was for 2000 years ago. It's not for today. The moving, the power, the gifts of the spirit. But yet we look at what the prophet Joel says and you see visions, you see dreams, you shall prophesy. You see, it's the fool who says that. It's the blind guide who says that. It's the dead who says that. It's the servant of Satan who says that. There's a reason why they have no power. It's not the Lord. It's them. You say, wait a second. Wait a minute. Hold on. How is it? How is it that Peter refers to the last days and yet, you know, this is like 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple years. And yet, Peter, in quoting or in citing the prophet Joel, we see in verse 17, it shall come to pass in the last days. So how was that possible when this was said 2,000 years ago, give or take a couple things? Well, we see several things in play. Number one, 
The prophet Joel made the reference, okay? Peter, he's, you know, like a son of Issachar. He understands what's happening. It's the prophet Joel who is saying this. Peter's just, he's just the messenger. He's just referencing it. But at the same time, when Jesus died, he died on the cross and he says to Telestai, it is finished. The church age began. The Holy Spirit testifying, you know, remember the, the Holy Spirit testifying, but at the same time, the, the, the Holy Spirit sent by the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Remember our study in Hebrews? And every priest has gifts. Remember our study in Hebrews. And the Holy Spirit bearing witness with gifts of the Spirit. The church age then, that door was wide open. When Jesus says to Telestai, it is finished. And you start to see something happening among believers. Yes, there's the period of mourning. Yes, there's the men who were scaredy cats and they were afraid of Rome. Then you have the beautiful women. You know, they were just right there at the empty tomb. They, didn't, they weren't afraid. I love that so much. The men scared. Let's stay home. You know, we're, it's, it's too dangerous out there. You know, we're going to stay home because the Romans, they might kill us like they killed Jesus. They might kill us. So we're going to be scaredy cats and let's lock ourselves in the, in the house. The women, they were like, nope. No, we want, you know, we're, we're at the tomb, you know, we're, we're mourning, you know, we prepared everything and, you know, we, we prepared everything uh, before the Passover. And so like, they were like ready. But since that time, the very early stages of the, the beginning of the church age, that door was wide open. The door of grace, wide open, wide open. But from that moment, the sands of time were already beginning to drop. And that door very slowly has been closing ever since. Today, the door is still open. But it's not open today like it was back then. There's still an opening. It's still open. But understand that the sands of time continue to drop. 70 weeks are decreed. You see? And the door will very soon, very soon, it will close. And not just that. The Holy Spirit... He who now restrains will also lift. And today we're living in a time where I wonder and ask of the Lord. Lord, has your spirit began to lift away? Is it already beginning to lift? Because you look at what's happening across our land, across the globe. I think we all have to wonder. Is the Holy Spirit beginning to lift? Now, some people say, well, that's impossible because the rapture is pre-tribulational. The church is still here and the church is the restrainer. 
but they willfully forget that lamps will run out of oil. It is prophesied and it will happen. And it's not just that it will happen, it is happening. Lamps are already running out of oil. I mean, when you hear a pastor, when you hear a pastor say, oh, the gifts of the spirit that was for 2000 years ago, you know what they're telling you? They're revealing to you that they, in their lamps, they have no oil. You will not find an expiration date on the power, on the moving, and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, there is no expiration date. But in people, in certain individuals, you will see an expiration. Why? Because they have no oil. You see? It's why we say to the remnant, store your oil. That is for you. The lamp is so there is light and, you know, you don't cover the light. No, you let your light shine. But the oil, that's for you. Be very generous with the light. Be very, very generous with the light. But with the oil, that's for you. Store your oil. We look here in, in verse 18, and on my men servants and on, on my maid uh, on my maidservants I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. Verse 20. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass. That whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, if you're listening and you didn't heed my prior call, for you to call upon the name of the Lord, let me ask you a question. Do you think he won't hear you? Do you think he won't hear you? Because he will. When you call upon the name of the Lord in repentance, and you believe and you call upon the name of the Lord and repent before him, do you think he won't hear? And I've had this conversation with people before. Oh, my life is too dirty. My life is too dirty. Look, I've done this. I've done that. I've done this. I've done that. I don't care how dirty your life is. Sex, drugs, rock and roll. No, you come to Christ right here, right now. Point blank. Let today be the day of salvation. And you know what happens? Let Jesus clean you up. Let's get you cleaned up. And that's what happens when you and me, when we stay in the word, yielding to the spirit of the Lord who helps us yield to the word of God and the word became flesh. Let's get you cleaned up. Look at Peter. Look at Peter. Look at Peter, unlearned of Adam, speaking to 
followers of the law. Not just followers, but doers of the law. They're actually there to worship the Lord in accordance to the teachings of Moses. But what they don't understand is they didn't have ears to hear and understand that Moses was writing about Jesus. You see? You think he won't hear? You think the Lord won't hear? When you cry out to the Lord in repentance to receive him as Lord and Savior, you think he won't hear? You think your sin is too great? Because if that's the case, I tell you the truth, you're wrong. Oh, but I've done too much sex. I've done too much drugs. I've done too much alcohol. Look, I'm an alcoholic. Look, I'm a crack addict. Look, I do this. I'm addicted to this. I'm addicted. You think Jesus can't fix that? You think Jesus can't heal? And the Bible says that in Christ, all things were made in him, by him, for him, and through him. And you think Jesus can't? Because I tell you from experience, filthy, 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 filthy. And I came to Christ. And he cleans. And it is holy. And it is pure. And it is lovely. And he'll do it for you. You hit pause and you listen to the message, how to commit your life to Christ. And you commit your life to Christ right here, right now, point blank. And you come back and you listen. And we grow together. We mature together. On to perfection together. You and me. Because the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. What's stopping you? What's stopping you? You see? Look at verse 22, man of Israel. Now, remember, Peter, unlearned of Adam, is speaking to the learned class, the learned of Adam, who are observing the law. And he says, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him, verse 23, being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands. Now, remember, Peter, he's speaking to people who know the law. You see, and to cite dirty hands, that's hardcore. That's hardcore. I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, you remember our study through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's hardcore. To cite dirty hands to people who are observing the law. That's hardcore. Look at him go. Look at beautiful Peter. Look at this beautiful vessel of the Lord and look at what the Lord has done and is doing in this beautiful, beautiful, marvelous vessel we call Brother Peter. Look at him go. A fisherman back in the day, you know, that wasn't like, you know, a lawyer or, you know, a surgeon. That was kind of like, you know, low end of the... The social ladder, so to speak. 
And look at him run. Look at him run now. Three years old in Christ, look at him go. Look at beautiful Peter go. And don't forget, Peter, he's not just citing scripture here. There are effectuators in place, something that we always reference, you know, the effectuation of promises. And Peter here, he's empowered with the Holy Spirit. Formula, beautiful. Full package. Look at him go. Look at him run. And in verse 23, speaking about Jesus, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hand, have by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. That's what they did. That's what they did. What did God do? Look at verse 24. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. For David says concerning him, look, Look at Peter. He goes from Joel, now he's on David. And, and how these vessels of old, you know, David and, and, and Joel, how they spoke of Jesus and his spirit. Look at Peter. Look at him go. Look at him run. Unlearned of Adam. Chastised by Jesus. And with repentance, restoration. Well, with humility comes repentance. And with repentance comes restoration. And with restoration, look at what the Lord has done with beautiful Peter. No degree on his wall. No certificate. Unlearned of Adam. But learned in Christ. He walked and walks with Jesus. He cited Joel. Now he goes to David in verse 25. For David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also, my, my flesh also will rest in hope. Verse 27. For you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of joy in your presence. Look at, look at Peter. Look at Peter. I mean, he's just straight up breaking it down. And he's speaking to the so-called learned class. The people, the ones who have come to in observance of the law. And we see here in verse 29, he says, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David. <laughs> he's three years old here. I'm in a three-year-old Christian. That's how long he's been walking with the Lord, three years. And he says, <laughs> he's speaking to, to the learned class. He's a fisherman. No degree. No certificate on his wall. And look at what the Lord has done. Can you see? Look at him go. Look at him run. 
Verse 29, men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Whoa, I meant to Jews. David is held in very, very high regard. To this day, David is highly regarded, which is understandable, but let's be straight. Let's be straight. If you're Jewish, I love you, but let's be straight. Peter speaks truth. David, he's both dead and buried. It's undeniable. David's flesh has rotted away and has returned to the dirt. His flesh has done that. His flesh has done that. It's the way of all flesh. It's the way of all flesh. Except for the final generation, which, you know, is a, there is a final generation that will not taste of death like everybody else has. You listen to our study through First and Second Thessalonians, you'll understand more. But it's the way of all flesh. And David's flesh has rotted and has corrupted. This is undeniable. Yes, Patriarch David. And yes, highly regarded. And I understand. But Peter speaks truth. His flesh is rotted away. So, knowing this, who was David referring to when he said, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption? I'll give you the answer. Not himself. I mean, if you're Jewish and you're listening, I love you. But the patriarch David was not speaking of himself. An unlearned of Adam, vessel Peter, beautiful brother Peter, three years old in Christ, and he's speaking to the learned class, and he's breaking it down, putting it all together. And the learned, according to Adam, are now beginning to wonder. And what's happening is that the gears start turning in their head. And these are old gears. These old gears were formed in their mother's womb. And sadly, very sadly, those gears stopped turning at a very young age of childhood. And these gears are moving again. As this former fisherman is now a fisher of men. And he's speaking. Men and brethren, he says in verse 29, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David that he is both dead and buried. It's undeniable. And his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet in verse 30, and knowing that God has sworn an oath to him that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, remember lineage, remember lineage, Matthew 1 verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is what Peter is pointing to. And so here we are in, 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 in Acts, in verse 30 here, according, that the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Just like verse 27 says. 
David wasn't referring to himself. The patriarch David was not referring to himself. He was speaking of the fruit of his body according to the flesh, that the seed would come and his flesh, his flesh, Jesus, absolutely did not see corruption. You see? David's, yes. You see? And the fruit of his body, speaking of David, according to the flesh, verse 30, remember the lineage, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. And Jesus, his flesh did not see corruption. This is what Peter is speaking of. This Jesus, in verse 32, God has raised up. Of which we are all witnesses. Now, Peter says we are all witnesses. Now, remember, the crowd, this small group of Christians, the crowd says they're all drunk. You know, these Christians that you hear speaking in these, the, our native dialecta, they're all drunk. That's what the crowd said of this small group of Christians. And Peter says, you know, no, we're not drunk. What has happened to us is what Joel spoke about what David spoke of and we are witnesses and let's not forget let's not forget regarding the empty tomb no one can produce a body no one can produce a body the tomb that Jesus was buried in that was under Roman guard and now it's empty now, do you really think that there were not efforts to find the body? Roman officials, the religious leaders, the Roman soldiers. Do you really think that efforts were not made to find the body? Everybody knew that the body of Jesus is missing. Everybody knew it's missing, it's missing, it's missing. We got to find it, we got to find it, we got to find it. The religious leaders, the Romans, soldiers, officials, everybody. Where is his body? It's missing. And Peter, he's saying, we're witnesses. We're witnesses. We know what happened. We know where he is. And Peter is telling them, he ain't here. You see? He's telling the people what you see is fulfillment of Joel. What happened is fulfillment of what David spoke of. Where Jesus is, it's been fulfilled. Verse 32, this Jesus God has raised up, of which we are all witnesses, therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God. You see, everybody's looking for Jesus. Where's the body? Where's the body? Peter's at, yeah, he ain't here. He's at the right hand of God. In verse 33, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember our study in Torah. Remember our study in Torah about offerings and the two transactions. Remember Mary at the empty tomb and Jesus says, no, 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 Mary, you got to let go. I can understand Mary not wanting to let go. I get that completely. And I think it's lovely. I think it's beautiful. It shows a lot about her heart. Picture how hard that must have been for Mary 
for Jesus to be for Jesus to be missing, and then Mary to realize like, okay, here he is, and for her to hold on to him, and just that grasp to let go, <laughs> next to impossible. And yet Jesus tells her, Mary, you gotta let go of me. He says, Mary, no, you gotta let me go because I have not yet ascended to my father. And remember his prior teachings, his prior words, where he says, I'm going to ascend to my father and I'm going to send the spirit. I'm going to send the Paracletus. I'm going to send the helper, capital H. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And now we're at fulfillment of that. And that's what Peter is testifying of. Unlearned of Adam. But he walked with Jesus. You see? In verse 33, Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this which you now see and hear. And he cites Joel. He cites David. Who they... Other vessels of a prior generation testified of the very same thing that is now being seen by many. In continuation, verse 34, Peter, a fisher of men, says, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord. Now, how could David be referring to himself? I under If you're Jewish, I love you. David, patriarch, I get it. But how could David be referring to himself when he says, the Lord said to my Lord? Is he referring to himself when he says, the Lord said to my Lord? Or God said to my God? Is David speaking of himself? No. Is David referring to two gods? No. There's only one way it fits. There's only one way. You know what that is? The Almighty has his only begotten Son who sits at his right hand. That's the only way. Son of David, Son of Abraham, Son of man, Son of God, Lamb of God, as Savior to all, as Pesach for my Jewish friends. Pesach. On Shavuot. And the learned of Adam, the unlearned of Adam, is speaking to those observing the teachings of Moses. You see? And these old gears in their hearts, these old gears in their minds are starting to turn. These old gears that were formed in their mother's wombs and they're starting to turn again. And beautiful, beautiful, beautiful vessel Peter is speaking of the real Passover, the one whom Moses wrote about. Referencing Joel, Joel, referencing David. You see? In verse 34, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. 
Therefore, now remember, this isn't Peter giving discourse. This isn't Peter citing scripture. This is full package, empowered with the Holy Spirit. And with that formula, those old gears formed in wombs, they begin to turn as words leave his mouth. They leave his tongue, they exit his mouth, and they enter the ear holes of the listeners, and they touch the heart. And in verse 36, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Look at him go. Look at him go. He's just three years old. Three years old in Christ. Look at beautiful Peter run his race. A sweet aroma unto the Lord. A sweet aroma unto our Father in heaven. Hallowed be his name. Formula right. Full package. Effectuation. Look at what happens in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, in verse 37, now when they heard this, heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, no, no, notice, they're no longer referring to them as drunk people. Who's this small group of people? Oh, they're just drunk. Oh, a bunch of drunkards. Some drunkards over here. They're speaking in our native dialecta and they're just drunk. They're no longer calling them drunk people. They say, men and brethren, what shall we do? And that's what happens with the realization of sin, of trespass, of transgression. A person realizes, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I wonder how many pastors today, how many pastors today would advise Peter, oh, Peter, don't speak like that. Don't speak like that, Peter. You're too abrasive. People will leave you. They won't tithe. And if they don't tithe, you can't pay the mortgage. You won't be able to have your new car. Peter, in order to have a mega church, you have to, you got to whisper sweet nothings to them. Peter, don't do that. Because you know what happens today? People, they get cut to the heart. And what happens? What happens? They leave. They leave. And then they make up excuses. Well, the Lord is calling me to this other church. Well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to feel good about myself. I'm going to go, I'm going to do my sex. I'm going to go to church and I'm, I'm going to feel good about myself. I'm going to do my drugs. I'm going to do my alcohol. I'm going to do my Ouija boards, my, my whiskey, my Buddha. I'm going to do the Wicca. I'm going to do the gambling and all these things. I'm going to go to church and I'm going to feel really good. I won't be cut to the heart there. The Lord is calling me over here. Number one, that's not the Lord. Number two, it's Satan. Number three, the person is still defiled. You see? And here the, Peter, the people, they say to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what do we do? They're cut to the heart. What do we do? And notice Peter, he doesn't say, you know, kiss my ring and pray to Mary. No. 
I'm the first victor. I'm, I'm, I'm the first vicar. You know, kiss my ring, pray to Mary. Peter does not say that. You know what Peter says? <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> what Peter says? Let's get you cleaned up. Let's get you cleaned up. Look at verse 38. Then Peter said to them, repent. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. See? Now, something else Peter does not say. He does not say, well, it's impossible to know who the elect are and who the pre who who are the ones who are predestined to heaven and who is predestined to hell. You see? God is sovereign and he'll work everything out and, you know, the Holy Spirit will make you believe. That's not what happens. And I'm not mocking the sovereignty of God. God is absolutely sovereign. There is none higher. But we have to understand what the sovereign teaches, what the sovereign says. Notice, here in Acts 2, we have a group of people they're cut to the heart. The gears in their heart, those old gears, are now turning once again. They haven't turned since they were little kids. And they believe. But they do not have the Holy Spirit. They believe without the Holy Spirit. Now, we cannot forget the two baptisms. One is for the remission of sins, and the other is for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The two are not the same. We also see this in Acts chapter 8, where believers are baptized in Jesus, but have not the Spirit. You see, in Acts chapter 8, verse 14, Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, this is from Acts chapter 8, verse 14, the apostles in Jerusalem, they heard that Samaria had received the word of God. They sent Peter and John to them. Notice, they sent Peter, beautiful vessel Peter, former fisherman, now fisher of men, John too. And they sent Peter and John to them. Verse 15, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. In verse 17, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. You see, when the formula is right, you have effectuation of the promises of God. Say, for example, Peter and John were elders in a church. Peter and John, they're elders in a church. Just say, for example. Where Brother James says, is anyone sick? Is anyone sick? Go to the elders. You see? And you can heed James. And you can go to the elders. And you know what happens? Healing. Because of formula. And with formula comes effectuation. And with effectuation comes the very things that we see in the Word of God, the very promises where Brother James says, is anyone sick? Go to the elders. Peter, John, if they were elders in this example, Peter, John, they're going to lay hands, they're going to pray, and things are going to happen. Healing will happen. But when the formula is wrong, oh, Brother James says to go to the elders, and you go to the elders, and nothing happens. Don't blame God. 
You can blame the elders, you can blame the pastors, but you can also blame yourself. You see? Why? Because you're submitting yourself to the wrong pastor. And a lot of Christians today do not understand the two baptisms. A lot of Christians just don't understand the two baptisms, two baptisms and they're in big trouble as a result. They're in big trouble for the days ahead. You know why? Because they have no oil, no light, no power, and apostasy is prophesied. The baptism of Jesus is for the remission of sins. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, that's oil. You see? And a lot of Christians today do not understand. A lot of Christians today do not even know about the two baptisms. And that's, it's going to come at a very heavy cost. It's already a heavy cost today. But it's going to be dreadful because they have no oil. If they don't understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if they don't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and making the, disti the, the distinction between the baptism for the remission of sins and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When you hear us say, jump ship. When you hear us say, come out of her, my people. I know there's difficulties associated with that very call. But it's said for you. Because the days ahead, they're going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. To the point where Jesus says, no flesh will be saved, even the elect. That's what Jesus says. No flesh will be saved, even the elect, unless those days be shortened. And that's what we're moving forward to. You see, apostasy, it is prophesied, yes. But it doesn't just happen. It happens for a reason. It's self-inflicted. It's what happens when the Lord becomes forgotten. Just like we see in the book of Judges. Let's go back to Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 39, For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. So, who does the Lord call? Who is it that the Lord calls? I'll give you the answer. And I tell you the truth. The phone is ringing. Now you have a choice to make. I mean, if you're listening and you're not a believer, you haven't heeded my prior calls to come to Christ. And you're wondering, who is it that the Lord calls? The phone is ringing. Do you answer? Or do you let it ring? Balls in your court. Balls in your court. Choose this day whom you shall serve. I say, I mean, if you were to ask me, what do I do? You know what I say? 
Answer the phone. And let today be the day of salvation. Let today be the day of salvation. You come to Christ right here, right now. You hit pause, you listen to the message, you got to commit your life to Christ, and you commit your life to Christ. In verse 40, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Look at three-year-old Peter. Look at him go. Well done, brother Peter. You know, our Lord, he's quite the carpenter. He does very good work. He does beautiful work. He does splendid work. And what he did in Peter, he can also do it in you. What he did in Paul and Timothy and Chloe and Lydia and Titus, he can do in you. And I'll tell you the secret. It's super easy, super duper easy. You know what it is? Let him. Let him. Look at verse 41. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Look at the fisher of men, former fishermen. He earned his income, and now he's a fisher of men, and his treasure is in heaven. Look at him go. Look at him run. Look at him run his beautiful race. Three-year-old Peter. Now, Peter was married. He did have a wife. Not much is written about her, but I can't wait to meet her. I could say more, but we'll refrain for now. I can't wait to meet her, though. Now, 1 Peter, when we begin our study next week, today is the introduction into 1 Peter, a little bit about Peter, his growth, his maturity, how he becomes deadly. 1 Peter is written around 64 AD. So time passes, a lot of time passes. And beautiful, beautiful Peter, this beautiful vessel of the Lord, is still running his race. 34 years later, still running. Look at him go. Look at his beautiful, beautiful, beautiful feet. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings. Look at him go. You and me, let us also run the race set before us. To the beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.